understand that at the foot of the cross, everything can be left there knowing that Jesus went to the cross to bear the weight and the sins of the world. Knowing that without Jesus, there is no way we could accomplish exactly what you want us to accomplish. And there's no way to reach salvation apart from Christ. And we see that throughout scripture, that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, that our faith is useless. But God, we know that Jesus has been raised from the dead because that's what you said. That's what the eyewitnesses stood for. And that's what you promised. And that's what Jesus claimed. And so God, we know that without a doubt that we can experience life and life more abundantly in Christ because he bore the weight and the sins that we have and he rose again defeating sin and defeating death and offering us life. And so God, may we understand, may we be prepared for everything that you have for us. May we know that you are coming again, that your son Jesus will come back just as he promised um, and that we should be prepared. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. We're continuing a series called Vigilant. And if you've been here over the last couple months, you know that we started off with a, a new sermon series, or we had a sermon series. Our last sermon series was called The King and His Kingdom. And we looked at a number of parables where Jesus talks about the establishment of his kingdom uh, in history. He talks about how it would look, what it would play out. And so we started the series off in that way, looking at the parables and what's going on. But then we started off our series, really continuing this king and kingdom mentality. We started the series uh, new series called Vigilant, looking at Matthew chapter 24 and continuing it through Matthew chapter 25. And uh, so when we started off the series in Matthew chapter 24, to give you an idea, Jesus is, is, this is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives as a result of everything that happened in Matthew chapter 22 and 23, where he came down hard on the religious leaders. And when he came down hard on the religious leaders, he basically told them that they were missing the kingdom because they were setting up things that were never intended to be set up. And so then as the disciples in Matthew chapter 24 are walking out of the temple after Jesus has just completely turned everything upside down, they're walking out, they look at the temple and they, they, they talk about the temple. Jesus says, hey, this temple is going to be torn down and the end's going to come. And then the disciples ask this key question in verse three of chapter 24. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So everybody seems to want to know when the end is going to be near, right? Like, I mean, if, if you're thinking about retirement, you're like, okay, it's, it's the end is getting near, you know? If, if you're thinking about the end of school year, matter of fact, some of you maybe are teachers and stuff like that, you're like, dude, the end is here. I got three months of break with maybe just my kids and no other kids. The, the, the kids are thinking the end is near. We don't have to worry about school. So they're thinking about this end picture, and a lot of people talk about the end. They want to know, when is the end going to be? What's it going to look like? How's it going to come about? So Jesus gives us a number of signs that we looked at already, and I want to go through them very quickly. They're going to pop up on the screen as we go through, but number one, he said there was going to be deception among many people. You see that in the first part. So there would be attempted deception of followers. Number two, there was going to be wars and rumors of wars, all right? Number three, there was going to be international hostility. Nations were going to rise against nation. Number four, there's famines and earthquakes. We see that um, happening even now, all right? Number five, that there were going to be people who were going to be persecuted and put to death for the sake of the gospel, all right? Number six, all right? Internal strife 
and betrayal. In other words, there would be this idea that people would turn on each other within the church. There's going to be an internal strife amongst the church. There's going to be a be- betrayal. There are going to be people who are going to sell people out, in other words, and get them persecuted and killed uh, to try and protect themselves. There's going to be this idea that the love of most will grow cold. And I honestly stand back and look and go, how can the love get any colder? All right? But every generation in some way, shape, or form has said that. So the love of most will grow cold. Number eight, he who stands firm will be saved. In other words, those who go through those things and stand firm uh, to the end will be saved. Number nine, the gospel will be preached as a result of that. These are, are things that take place. When people are persecuted, the gospel is preached. When people die as a result of the gospel, the gospel is proclaimed louder and stronger than it ever could be without the persecution. And number 10, Jesus said, here's the sign. There was going to be this sign that the abomination that causes desolation, in other words, an individual. I'm not going to sit here and, and say who, because for some reason, people think it's a, going to be a political ruler. It may be a political ruler. It's probably going to be a military type individual who rises to power. All right, And in this, what we see is this abomination is going to set up a, an idol of himself in the temple, and that's what's going to be worshipped. But then, listen, that's just the, kind of the beginning. That's the signs that we see of what's going to happen as the end is approaching. And then as the end approaches, it literally says this, that everybody will know when Jesus comes. And here's the reason why, because it will be like lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west. Okay? And then on top of that, it says they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and and he will send his angels, and there will be a loud trumpet call, and he will gather his people from across the world. So there's going to be this great thing that goes on. But then Jesus says this, and we looked at last week. We don't know the time, the date, or the hour. Matter of fact, at the point in time when Jesus gave it, he said, I don't even know the time, date, and hour. Now, I believe that Jesus knows Now, why? Because he's returned to the Father. Him and the Father are one. They've communicated. No, no, but at that point in time, being on earth, being in submission to the Father, Jesus said, look, I don't know the time that I'm going to be coming back. And so that takes us to Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew 25, Jesus goes back to teaching in parables. And remember what I said, the king and his kingdom that we looked at earlier was looking at the parables with which Jesus talked about what the kingdom would be like. Part of the reason why we did not, when we went through this, this part in Matthew, we did not cover the, the parables of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents and then the sheep and the goats was because of this very reason. I believe it goes hand in hand with Matthew chapter 24. So in order to teach Matthew 25, you have to teach Matthew 24 first so you understand what's going on. So now in, in, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus goes back to teaching in parables. And anybody remember what a parable is? A parable is an earthly story that communicates something spiritual or something heavenly, all right? It's an earthly story with a spiritual or heavenly meaning so that we can begin to understand and comprehend exactly what he means and what's going on behind it. So he gives us two parables teaching us the spiritual truth of what it means, listen, to be vigilant for the Lord's second coming. Matthew chapter 24, he gives us these two parables and then he talks about the sheep and the goats so that we can remain vigilant for the Lord's second coming. And and I want you to think about this. The term vigilant means to keep careful watch, to be awake, alert, and prepared. To keep careful watch, to be awake, alert, and what? Prepared. 
And so today's sermon title is this, Don't Be Caught Unprepared. Unpreparation, or when I have a lack of preparation, always leads to a problem, doesn't it? I mean, if you go into a certain situation, whatever it is, if I went to a baseball game to coach my boys and said, hey, sorry, I left all the equipment at home, what good does that do? They're unprepared. And that's my fault. I didn't prepare them. Why? Because I left all the catcher's gear at home. I left everything that we've got that goes into playing. I left the baseballs at home. They can't get prepared. Whatever it is, whatever situation you're in, when I am unprepared, I am not ready. I'm not ready to do what is necessary. I'm not ready to be ready. So listen, the intent of the teaching is, is or, or the intent of teaching us the suddenness and unexpectedness of the coming of the Lord is something that Jesus is trying to communicate. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse one, I'm gonna read the first six verses and then we'll read the rest later. Listen to what he says, at that time. What time is that? In other words, after these signs have come about, the Son of Man has come, all right? There's this point in time, we don't know the time, but at that time, the kingdom of heaven, remember, the king and his kingdom coming back, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So who went to meet who? The women went to meet the what? The bridegroom. All right, these 10 virgins went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were what? Foolish and five were wise. All right, so about half and half, 50%. Five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So hold there, we're gonna read the rest here in just a second. Here's the idea. The parable is meant to teach us that Jesus is coming, that there are benefits and consequences for those who remain vigilant and those who are unprepared. If I remain vigilant for Jesus' second coming, then I will be prepared for it. If I don't remain vigilant, then I will be unprepared for Jesus' second coming. And so Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, here's the thing we have to begin to understand. Matthew chapter 25, everybody always talks about the hell, fire, and brimstone pastors and preachers, but you have to begin to understand what's taking place when Jesus talks about it. When I am prepared, I am prepared to face the judgment that will come as a result of what goes on. When I am unprepared, I may be unprepared to face the judgment, but I am still going to face the what? Judgment. So I can face the judgment prepared or I can face the judgment unprepared. The reality of the situation comes to this. Am I or am I, am I prepared? Are you prepared to face what's going to happen as a result of Jesus' second coming? That's the big picture. And listen, if you don't like it, you can take it up with Jesus because there's a reason why the words are in red. Jesus taught it, not man. Jesus preached it, not man. So if you have a problem with judgment, what Jesus is trying to communicate is look and say this. Jesus is trying to say, if you want to avoid the judgment that's going to come, you have to have a way to avoid it. And the only way to avoid it is through Christ. That's the reality of what Jesus teaches. And so Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he will judge sinners. 
and he will reward the righteous, and he will punish the unrighteous. He's coming at an unexpected moment, an unexpected time, and what he's trying to warn us is this, that we should all be ready. Matter of fact, I know it is DC talk. I'm pretty sure somebody did it all, but there was a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. You ever heard it? Matter of fact, maybe I'll play it next week when we talk about the other one, all right? But I, I don't know. But you can go and look it up. DC Talk sings a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And it literally talks about one man's in the field, one, or two men in the field, one's gone, one stays. Two ladies are at the mill, one's gone, one stays. It plays that great picture out. What we have to understand is that we have to be ready at all times. Why? Because there's no second chance. Listen to me. After Jesus comes, there is no second chance chance. When he returns for the final time, the second coming, it's over. And that's what he begins to teach here with this parable of these 10 virgins. See, afterward, there will be no second chance because people can knock all you want, but the door is not going to be open. So here's the key thought. Here's the big point. If you remember anything, you got to remember this. Preparation is critical in remaining vigilant. Preparation is is critical in remaining vigilant. In order to remain vigilant, I have to be prepared. It's critical. There's no secondary. Matter of fact, you know, I go back to baseball and I go back to the military a lot, but in the military, you had to prepare for the worst case scenarios. We prepared for chemical attacks. We prepared for nuclear attacks. Matter of fact, one of, in my opinion, one of the worst ones to prepare for was the chemical attack. Try being stuck on a ship when they, number one, in a chemical attack, they shut down all, all the ventilation. Now, you be in the middle of a ship, a steel ship, with a bunch of guys who are sweating and working and have no air. Trust me, it's worse than being in the desert, because number one, at least in the desert, you know, you can kind of get away from people. No, you're stuck in t- tight quarters with a bunch of sweaty dudes with no air, and it stinks. On top of that, when a chemical attack came, not only do they shut down the ventilation, but guess what you have to put on? It's this thing called a gas mask. And this gas mask, if you've ever been, like, had your head in a bubble It's exactly like that. You got this clear mask that goes over you that you have to, you you put your hand over the the, the filter part and you suck. And when you suck, it sucks in against your face. It'll dent in. And then when you breathe out, it pops back out. You're making sure you got an airtight seal. One of the reasons why the Navy never allowed facial hair was if you face a chemical attack because facial hair will make sure that you never seal your face mask properly. And so one of the things we do, now try and wear that for five or six hours straight. Because after a while, you get this really tight ring and it feels like it's sucking your face off and you feel like you're not breathing and you feel like you're walking in a bubble. Like everything's weird. You're like, whoa. I mean, it starts to make you lightheaded. But why? Why did we do that? Because you prepared for the worst case scenario. And in order to prepare for the worst case scenario or in order to be vigilant for the worst case scenario, we had to prepare. And so here's the question I want to ask. What are the critical ideas that we should notice in this scripture today? 
What are the critical ideas we should notice in this scripture today? Because I believe Jesus is trying to teach us something very important, and that is that preparation is critical in remaining vigilant, okay? Number one is this. There's a coming expectation. There's a coming expectation. See, we don't know when, but we do know that Jesus is coming again. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back and look at it, he says it over and over and over. One time in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour. In Matthew chapter, uh, or in 24, verse 42, it says, therefore keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. The third one in verse 44, so you, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. A- again, it says it, in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 50, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he is not aware. And then we begin to see this same thing played out here. Why? Because the bridegroom is gonna come back. They just don't know when. So listen, they know that he is coming back. There's a coming expectation. And so these 10 virgins are set up for that. And, and what we have to begin to understand is this. There is a wedding scene that is taking place and it's completely different than anything we face in America. Matter of fact, who's responsible for paying for a wedding in America? Usually the mom and dad of who though? The bride, right? Okay, completely backwards from everywhere else. Completely, seriously. Do you know who bears the cost of a wedding over there? If we were talking about Palestinian wedding, an Oriental wedding, the Middle East, any of those areas over there, who bears the cost of the wedding? The groom. The bridegroom's family always bears the cost of the wedding. The bridegroom is the one who pays for everything that's going on. He's prepared everything about it. Everything is built upon that, that the bridegroom prepares for the wedding to the bride. And so this is what's kind of playing out in this scenario or situation. It was a Palestinian wedding, one in which the bridegroom is responsible for the cost of the wedding and the preparation for it. Now, some of you ladies who are control freaks would be like, over my dead body. Because most guys would just kind of walk through the motions to get to the end. But there was a preparation that took place here in, in, in a wedding, and we have to begin to understand or see what's a little bit more. Matter of fact, I would even say this from a, a father of now two daughters, um, and hopefully no more. It seems kind of fair to me. You want my daughter, dude, you're going to have to pay, bro. I mean, it's going to cost you dearly. Seriously, I mean, I love my daughter more than you ever will, most likely. And I, I say that cautiously because I know how much I love my wife. But listen, dad comes first, and you're going to have to battle dad, or you're going to have to pay dad to get or win the hand of my daughter. So there's this idea that comes first, but we have to be able to understand there were three steps or three phases to a wedding in the Palestinian area, all right? Number one was this. There was the engagement time, all right? The engagement was never set up by the couple. You guys understand that, right? The engagement was set up by fathers. They came into an agreement. I kind of wouldn't mind working that out with my daughters. Be like, no, that dude's a loser, bro. You're not, sorry, I'm going to find a different, we're going to set this up right, all right? But the engagement was set up by the fathers, and it was a contract. And that contract was binding to each other that the husband or the, the son and daughter would come together, and they would be married, all right? Then there was the betrothal period. In the betrothal period, that was actually when the vows were exchanged. Once they were betrothed to him, all right, 
It was non-negotiable. That's why you'll see who, who was betrothed to Joseph? Mary. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which means that they had already gone through the vows of the wedding ceremony, but had not initiated the actual physical ritual that takes place because Joseph wasn't ready yet. So there's something to be taken place here that we begin to understand. And so Jesus lays this out and he says, hey, look, there's these 10 virgins and there's this bridegroom and there's this bride. During the betrothal period, the bridegroom would then go over and prepare his place to prepare for the bride. He might build on or add on to his father's house, or he might buy some property, build his own place, and he would have a place where he could provide for her, not just physically, but financially and spiritually as well. And so there would be this betrothal period, and between the betrothal period and the consummation of the marriage, it might take a year. So there's this time aspect that plays out that we don't even begin to see. And listen, here's what happens. If you remember John chapter 14, I'm gonna flip over there just to read it so you understand. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 14, all right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, listen to this, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, remember, who is Jesus? He's the bridegroom. I go to prepare a place for you. Let me, let me find my place here. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come what? Back. And I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, here's the point of what's going on in this story. The bridegroom has gone. The betrothal's taken place. They haven't consummated the marriage physically. He's gone. He goes to prepare a place. He's waiting. These 10 virgins are waiting along with the bride. Uh, the bride, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come so they can go into what we call the wedding feast or the wedding celebration. And the wedding feast or wedding celebration always happened after the bridegroom had prepared the place and the bridegroom would then come back at a point in time where the bride may not have known. And he would come back at night. And when he would come back at night, they would march through the town with their wicks with their torches celebrating as they would go in and, and, and celebrate the marriage feast or the wedding feast or wedding celebration. So do you get the picture that's going on here? Okay. The bridegroom has left. He's preparing a place. And then there's a point in time he's going to come back. And the virgins, as well as the bride, don't know when they just have to be prepared. So there's a coming expectation. That's exactly what they know that the bridegroom is coming back. And so after an unspecified amount of time, after the legal vows, then the bridegroom would come back and he would escort his bride with great pomp and circumstance, more than anything we could ever have. And they would escort through the streets and villages so that everybody could see it. I think one of the neatest things we'd ever been a part of, we went to a wedding and at the end, instead of doing rice or bird seed or bubbles and things like that, uh, the couple came out, they had everybody, it was at night, and everybody got sparklers, which at the time I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the dumbest thing ever. What if somebody like dropped one of the parts of the sparkler on the bride's dress? You know, like, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about open flame, dresses, hairspray, things like that. But one of the coolest things was they lit these sparklers and as the, the sparklers are lit, here come the bride and groom out to the car to drive off. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But this is the idea. These are torches. And they carry the torches around the city or around the town, celebrating as they walk into the wedding festival or the wedding feast that's going to take place for the next week. 
Okay, so there's a coming expectation. And listen, here's the thing we have to begin to understand because we, we see this. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. Here's the big, big, big thing we gotta see in this, this coming expectation. We are just like the 10 virgins in our expectation of the coming of the bridegroom. Some are gonna be prepared and some are gonna be unprepared. Some are gonna be wise and some are gonna be foolish. And so the question we ask, what are the critical ideas we should notice? Number one, we should have an expectation that Jesus is coming. Number two, what are some of the critical things? Number two, there are wise people and there are foolish people. And listen to me, I believe that this stands true in the church. There are people who have made the wise decision, who have followed by faith, who have called upon the truth of Jesus, who are willing to do whatever it takes to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and then there are some who are just walking through the motions. There are some who maybe made a commitment to make sure they got out of hell commitment, but they don't truly believe. They don't truly follow. They begin to question God's word. They begin to question everything that's going on. They're not committed to what Jesus has called them to do. They're like, well, I'm not sure we really, he really meant that. Listen to me. The term virgins literally means this. They were young women of marriageable age. So we see two groups of women described as exactly alike. There is nothing different outwardly, is there, described. What is the difference? A lack of preparation. Both had a coming expectation that he was coming. One group was wise in preparing. The other group was unwise in not preparing. One group said, hey, we're going to do everything it takes so that we are ready. When the bridegroom comes back, we're going to be able to march through the streets and follow him. And the other group said, hey, we're good to go. We got enough. No big deal to be, we can be unprepared. And I think these are people who also claim to belong to Christ. Listen to me, and, and, and I've heard this said, Billy Graham said a long time ago that he, numerically speaking, statistically speaking, the 70, over 70% of the people who go to church on Sunday morning when Jesus comes back will not be in heaven. Because they've gone through the motions. But Jesus hasn't made any difference in their life. They don't make decisions based upon what Jesus would call them to do. They don't serve Jesus. They don't love the church. And listen to me, you cannot separate, listen to this very carefully, you cannot tell me you love the bridegroom and hate the bride because if you hate the bride, you're gonna hate the bridegroom. Is the church full of problems? Can't deny it. Because the church is people, right? The church is not a building. We talked about this. The church is people. And people are what? Sinners. And sinners need Jesus. And sinners have sin. And sinners have problems. And sinners have pride and arrogance. But listen to me. When you put Christ first, you maybe make a mistake and you can ask for forgiveness and you can go to the person, you can apologize. It's called repenting and saying, look, I, I screwed up, I, I messed up. I didn't mean to go down that road. But listen to me, there were wise and foolish people and the foolish virgins were not prepared for the coming. And in the kingdom, listen, 
Listen to what Jesus says. In the kingdom will grow wheat and tares. In the kingdom, there will be seed that fell along the path and it's gonna grow up. And then there's gonna be seed that falls along the rocky soil that grew up quick but had no root. No root means no fruit. And then there's good soil that produces a crop 10, 20, 30, or 100 times. And Jesus says, those are the people who are part of my kingdom. So this in no way shows us a comparison to the church. So hear me out. But I think about this often. If five had, or five were foolish and five were wise, what does that mean to the church? I think the question is this, am I foolish or am I wise? Am I prepared for Jesus' second coming? Or am I not prepared for Jesus' second coming? We don't know the hour, we don't know the time, we don't know the day, we don't know any of that. Am I prepared? Have you prepared for the coming bridegroom? Are you about the father's business or are you busy worrying about your own life? Oh, I can take care of that later. See, both the wise, listen, and I think here's the thing we begin to see. Matter of fact, if you follow along with me in verse six and following, it says at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps and the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Verse nine, no, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were there, or while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And that's number five. That's the fifth time now he said, you don't know when the time is coming. So we have to understand that both the wise and the foolish virgins fell asleep. But that is not the problem. It's not the fact that they fell asleep. The fact of the matter is the problem comes because they were unprepared. They weren't prepared. And listen, I think this is one of the biggest things that we as a church have to understand. We have to be prepared at all times. We should be about the Father's business. We should be about carrying the gospel out. We should be about obedience no matter what, no matter the cost. We have to be prepared at all times. Why? Because we don't know the day, the time, the hour, the week, anything. What's the third thing we can learn? Number one, we said, was the coming expectation. We have an expectation he's gonna come. Number two, I can either be wise or foolish, all right? What's the critical idea? Number three, third critical idea is this, that there will be a coming bridegroom. All throughout scripture, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. There are 10 virgins, part of the wedding party with the bride. There were 10 virgins and only five were ready. The other five were unprepared. And so we have to understand that there is a coming bridegroom and he comes when they least expect him. All of them are asleep, okay? In other words, you can carry it out this way. Everybody goes through the motions in life, right? You wake up, you go to work, you come home, you take care of your kids, you go to bed. At some point, your kids move out of the house, you're kind of going through the motions, you're preparing. But all through life, I should be walking through, going through, being prepared. It doesn't mean that I quit everything and just focus on being prepared for the second coming. It means that I'm going through life 
always being prepared no matter what goes on. So I raise my kids to be prepared for the second coming. I raise my kids to love and follow Jesus no matter what. I raise my kids to love their neighbor as themselves because why? That's part of the gospel being carried out. There is a coming bridegroom and as a result of the coming bridegroom, we be prepared at all times. And so the sleep factor is not that big of a deal when he talks about it. Look, they all fell asleep. The problem is that they were unprepared. And so he comes when they least expect it. And we talked about it last week when I grew up and you grew up playing hide and go seek. What do you say? Ready or not? Here I come. You might be hiding. You're still going to, matter of fact, what happens when the person who's like trying to hide still hasn't hid? You ever seen this? It's like the kid is like, okay, I'm going to hide there. No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go over here. I'm gonna, no, 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 I'm going to hide over here. And then ready or not, here I come. I'm still standing out in the middle. I'm not ready for it. Well, it doesn't matter if you're ready because they've done counted down and they're coming. That's exactly how Jesus is saying. Ready or not, I'm coming. He wants you to be ready. He wants everybody to be ready. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he is slow in coming back because he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to faith in Christ. So Jesus' patience is literally that. So they're awake in plenty of time to meet the bridegroom, but the problem comes with their lack of vigilance. And I want to ask you, church, are we vigilant for the things that Jesus is about? We're often made aware of the routine of life, but are we vigilant about what Jesus is about. See, when Jesus comes, he will come with a loud shout, maybe, maybe something like this. Here comes the bridegroom. Because here's what would happen in that time. When the bridegroom starts coming through, everybody makes it known. The bridegroom is coming for his bride. Here comes the bridegroom. Matter of fact, if you flip to 1 Thessalonians, you don't have to, I'm going to read it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's the idea. When the bridegroom comes through, everybody's going to know that the bridegroom is coming. With a loud command. Now, I don't know if where you were at Thursday night, but I think I heard the loudest thunder I've ever heard in my life. Matter of fact, on Thursday night, well, it was Thursday morning, at 2.30, we were woken up by the storm. And off and on, fall asleep, wake up, fall asleep, wake up. Girls climb into bed with us, freaking out, so we might as well be awake. I get up at 3.40 anyways. Well, at 3.38, this... Holy smokes, closest lightning I think I've ever experienced hit, lit up our whole room, and poof, we lost power for four hours. I mean, we have room darkening shades, and I could have walked around in like daylight. It was like, whoa, you could see the whole room. The loudest thunder I've ever heard at the same time, because as soon, I mean, the lightning flash and thunder went right away. It was just boom. With a loud call, Jesus will come. 
And remember what I said earlier in Matthew chapter 24, that as lightning bolts across the sky, you will know when he comes. Why? Because the glory of God will light up the sky. Just as my room got lit up by the lightning, the glory of God, when Jesus shows up, the sun's gone, the moon's gone, stars have quit working, guess what? Jesus shows up and it's gonna be something that everybody's gonna see. The question is, are you prepared? Because when the bridegroom comes, not gonna be any announcement. When he's ready, here comes the announcement and it's on. The bridegroom will come back and you and I must be prepared. But listen, and here's how we wanna wrap up. There is an impending crisis. And the crisis is this. There were those who were foolish. And those foolish ones, their lamps began to flicker. And as a result, the long delay in getting oil or the long delay in the bridegroom coming has led to the fact that they don't have enough oil. If you were to study this, I heard everything as I was looking at that, that the oil carried the fact that it was like uh, the Holy Spirit, or it was faith, or it was grace, and, and some have over-spiritualized some of this, and I think that it's something we have to look at, but listen to this, all right? Because faith and grace and the Holy Spirit cannot be bought. It can't be one of those. So listen again to what he says. It says, then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. And what do they say? No, they're not enough for oil. So you can go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Listen, faith, grace, and the Holy Spirit cannot be bought. It can't be transferred. It can't be passed down generations. In other words, your faith in Christ is your own faith in Christ. If your parents grew up going to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. If you grew up going to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. Sarah and I said this, she started this a long time ago. If, if, if going to church made you a Christian, then going to McDonald's would make you a what? A hamburger. As I like to say it, my wife makes fun of the way I say hamburger, all right? Or going to the Royals game would make you a Kansas City Royal. Doesn't happen, does it? Faith, grace, and the Holy Spirit are not transferred or passed down via generations. It is your own. You own it. You believe it. You follow it. Your obedience. I've, 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 I find it ironic a lot of times when I talk to people around around here when I've grown up, or not grown up around here, but I've, I've talked to people who grew up around here. And they'll say things like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, where do you go to church? Uh, I don't remember the name of it. But I grew up going to Southern Baptist Church at such and such. Oh, well, that's great. So you're not a Christian. See, the term Christian in America is really, honestly, if, if I'm not Muslim, I'm not Jewish, I must be a Christian. When the reality is the term Christian means little Christ, or little Christ. It means that you have put your faith and trust in Christ first and foremost, and that is the number one thing. You've admitted you're a sinner. You admit you need Jesus. You've repented. You've turned from your ways, and you follow Jesus. It's not passed down. No such thing as spiritual grandchildren. For all you grandparents out there who love to brag on your grandchildren, listen to me. There is nothing that you can do that's going to pass it down other than to stand on the truth of God's word and teach them to love 
Jesus. You can't force him. You can't make him. And you standing before Jesus going, well, they're my grandchild, doesn't do anything for him. They have to choose it. They have to be prepared. And, and listen, if it can't be passed down, if it can't be transferred, then I have to make the decision to be prepared myself. You ever heard the statement, failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part? I mean, we used it all the time. I still try and tend to use it with my son, especially because he's out in la-la land at times when it comes to preparing for anything, whether it's school or going to have fun. <laughs> he just, I love him dearly, but he's just kind of off and he just kind of floats. He's a, he's, a he's a free floater. Just like, woo, you know, and for me, type A, task-driven personality drives me nuts. But failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. And that's exactly what the five wise virgins basically said. No. No, we're going to follow Jesus no matter what. We're going to follow the bridegroom and we're going to be a part of it. Because listen, here's the big thing at the end. Remember who Jesus is. Matter of fact, we did a, a sermon series not too long ago on the Gospel of John where the, the statements and Jesus says, I am the door you could come, you can knock, and I'm the one who controls whether you enter or you don't. And listen to what happens to the virgins. It says, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was what? Shut. It's a personal thing. It's a final thing. It's a thing that says, look, there is no longer a second chance. It was shut. And later the others came, and they knocked. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. And listen to what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. I do not know you. Why? Because you walk through the religious rules. You jump through the hoops that maybe was set up for you. Maybe you thought everything was transferred down because your mom and dad went to church, but in the end, the reality is you didn't have a faith decision to put your faith and trust in Christ and follow him no matter what. It is owned by you. You have to make the decision to put your faith and trust in Christ. Jesus is calling you. He's drawing you. He's reaching out. He's saying, I want you to put your faith and trust in me. Listen to me. I'm being patient. I am slow, not wanting anyone to perish. You have to choose to follow me. You put your faith and trust in me. You acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge your mistakes and you follow. That's the only chance you have because listen to what he says in the end. Therefore, Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Listen to me, and I think this is the biggest thing. It's possible, it is very possible to know a lot of doctrine. It's possible to have grown up in the church. It's possible to go to church. It's possible to have this idea that I have done so many good things for the church. But if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 7, there's going to be people who are going to come to Jesus then who's going to say, look at what we did for you. Look at who we served and how we preached and how we stood for you. And Jesus is going to say, away from me because I never knew you. Do you know Jesus as your own, as your own? Do you own him? Do you understand it? Or really, does he own you? Do you understand that faith is not something that can be transferred down it's not passed on generation to generation, but it has to be something that you have on your own. 
That's the big question. Are you prepared? You're prepared if you have your own faith. Do you follow Jesus no matter the cost? Have you put your faith and trust in him first and foremost? That's how you remain prepared. And listen to me, it doesn't get any easier next week because next week is the parable of the talents. And for those of you who like to hide your talents, who say, you know what, I'm just gonna sit in church and not do anything, next week's gonna be a scathing remark. I'm just, I'm warning you, I'm preparing you. And that's not, that's not coming from the pastor, that's coming from the words of Jesus. Those of you who sit and hide your talents, Jesus says at the very end, dude, you're in trouble because you don't get the big picture. So let's pray. Father, we know that at a time and a date, at an hour, Jesus will come back. And we know that there is no second chance opportunity. There's no other way to get to the Father but through the Son. There is no other way to experience eternal life but through life in Christ, knowing that Jesus paid the ultimate price. And so God, as we respond, we know that the Holy Spirit is living and active and breathing and he's working as we are at work now. God, as we study your word, as you speak to us the truth of your word, God, we know that your Holy Spirit is here and you are working on people's hearts. And so today, maybe where you're at, maybe just the simple statement would be this, that I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I carry the wrong and the weight and the burden of that, but I am transferring it over to Jesus because I know that Jesus died on the cross. And as a result of his death, he rose again. And in his resurrection, he offers me life. And the Bible says very simply that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That is how you take ownership of your faith first and foremost. Secondly, listen to me, it doesn't stop there because Jesus never intended to make it a one-time thing. Jesus intended to be a lifelong relationship where you grew to love him, to follow him, and to be obedient to him no matter the cost. And so maybe you're a Christian today, you'd say, I, I'm, I, you know what, I'm, I'm not prepared. Maybe that's something you need to take care of here today. Maybe you need to grab a friend and you can come up here and pray. Maybe you can pray if you want to, you can pray with me. Maybe you want to pray on your own today. But just pray and ask God to prepare you to be ready for his second coming. Because listen to me, and I think this is the finality we have to understand. When Jesus comes, there is no second chance. It's over. Are you prepared? Father, we pray that you would deal with each heart where we're at, that we would understand the finality of Jesus' second coming because we know just as he said he would come, he's already come. Just as he said he's returning to the Father and he's sitting at the Father's right hand, we know he's sitting right next to you. God, he promised he would come back and we don't know when that's gonna be. So may we be prepared no matter what. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.